Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. The aim of the game here is to try and understand what is happening in the world from a Christian perspective, to see what light the Bible can shed on these troubled times that we're going through. We've been focusing a lot on the lockdowns, but also on lots of other issues which are affecting society at the moment. I do hope that you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And you can also sign up on Telegram, t.me forward slash philsaker, and the link will be in the show notes, where there will also be links to the articles and things mentioned in the podcast, anything that's relevant. Now, on with the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker. We're continuing on in our series on Revelation tonight and we're looking at Revelation chapter 20. And we're coming near to uh, to the end of Revelation, uh, but Revelation chapter 20, this is one of the most contentious uh, sections in Revelation, the beginning of chapter 20. There are several Protestant denominations which define themselves on their position. It's all about the millennium and, you know, whether they're post-millennial or pre-millennial or amillennial. Um, you know, it's so significant that even Robbie Williams wrote a song about it. I don't think actually Robbie Williams was about uh, the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. Probably not. Um, but it is nonetheless a very significant moment in 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 church, in sort of the, the church. It's... Um, it has been quite divisive. So it's with a sense of trepidation and dread that I, I, I look into it. But as I've been saying through Revelation, you know, I think that the message of Revelation is supposed to encourage us. You know, it's not supposed to be a code that we need to crack in order to to discern hidden secrets about the world. I think it's just meant to give us a heavenly insight from the throne room of heaven into into human history, into understanding what is is happening and what's going to happen um, as we as we go through history and as we approach the end. But I don't think this is supposed to be a code that we're supposed to crack. Not that the millennium is a code that we're supposed to crack anyway. I'll, I'll come on to that as we read it. So um, there are three sections. Well, the, the NIV uh, translation of the Bible splits this up into three sections. So that's what we'll look at it in. Uh, 20 verses uh, 1 to 6, first of all. So let me read that and then we'll think about it. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so let's just think back to Revelation chapter 12, which you looked at uh, a few weeks ago. And um, Revelation chapter 12, we saw the introduction of the dragon, which is uh, is the devil. And uh, it, it sort of is talking about uh, Jesus's birth. And um, and it says, you know, the ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to earth. 
and he tries to get the child that's born um but uh, uh, then he can't so he's enraged and he goes off to wage war against the rest of her offspring it says those who keep god's commands and hold fast their testimony about jesus that's chapter 12 verse 17 now after that the dragon kind of disappears it's interesting isn't it you know that the beast appears after that but we don't really see the dragon the dragon has returned in chapter 20. So I think what's happening is chapters 13 to 19 are kind of describing the events of, of what's happening. You know, the beast and the, the great prostitute and so on. All the things that we've been looking at over the previous few weeks. Do go back and have a look at the playlist um, on YouTube or go back and look at the podcasts if you're you're interested, if you miss those. Um, but... Here we see the dragon again. The dragon returns. And so I think this is what um, in the sometimes theologians call an inclusio, which is, you know, kind of it's like they're like bookends. You know, they bookend a section. It's the beginning and the end of this section. I think we see with the dragon. And um, we see an angel coming uh, who's got the key to the abyss and he sees the dragon, the ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan, just like we saw described back in chapter 12, and bound him for a thousand years. He seals him in the abyss, locks him and seals, it, seals him over to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free a short time. Now, the reason that this is controversial is because um, some people think that this is chronologically follows what's happened uh, what's already been described and this is describing a time in the future where um the the satan will be locked up and the um you know the the saints um that those particularly who'll be martyred actually will reign with christ for a thousand years and then satan will be let loose for a bit so some people say this is what's going to happen and other people say um, well, you know, that the saints are going to come and they're going to go be with Jesus and then Satan's going to be let loose and that's a thousand years. Or I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what the exactly what the different positions are. Um, I think, I mean, as we've been seeing all the way through Revelation, I think this is a symbolic number. It's a cubic number. Ten cubed um, is a thousand. And that, that's often significant in John. And what I think is happening here is he's talking about now. It's, it's another camera angle onto now. And um, there is precedent for this, actually, if you look at what Jesus said. So, for example, this is what Jesus says in um, Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 29. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So what I think Jesus is alluding to here is that he has bound the strong man, that Satan. He's tied him up and is plundering his house. That, you know, although the earth is, you know, if you like, the domain of, of Satan, he is the ruler of, 
of the the earth for now that christ has has bound him has you know, limited his authority and is plundering him he's take save by saving people he's taking them away from satan taking to taking them to himself and and he's saving them and he's really stealing not well not stealing because it doesn't belong to satan but you know he's taking away from satan what satan has himself stolen um so um yeah i think that's what this is describing and, and it's actually encouraging because over the last few chapters, I mean, I know that there has been a lot of encouragement seeing the destruction in the end of evil and of all of the, the kingdoms and, you know, the, the powers and authorities that oppose God. But seeing here, actually thinking, you know what, Satan is bound, that he's on a leash, his, his authority is limited. He does not have the power to, to, do, to do everything. He, he, he can't stop God. And I just found that really encouraging as I, as I was thinking about it, you know, that it may seem like Satan and that the evil is winning, but actually he's bound. And, you know, that Jesus is the one who's stronger than the strong man. He's the one who's bound the strong man so that his house can be plundered. And that's what we I think we should expect to happen, that although it may seem like evil is in the ascendancy, that actually that the power of evil is limited and as we've seen, there uh, will come a short time, I think, when Satan will be, you know, unleashed for a, a short a short period of time. Do you remember we we had the three days it talked about, which is not much compared with the three and a half years. So really a very short time. Um, so although that may happen for a short time, actually, his days are numbered. You know, the end is coming. And, and even now he is he is uh, under lock and key. You know, he's on a leash. And there's really, um, yeah, limited what, what he can do. Um, and I thought that was an encouraging thought anyway. Um, and uh, then it, it, it says there, were, there was these pictures of the thrones and the souls who've been beheaded uh, because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. So you remember, again, at the, uh, what we saw at the end of chapter 12, um, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So again, we're seeing that kind of coming together of um, uh, chapter 12 and chapter 20. And um, the souls uh, of those who've been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, um, they hadn't worshipped the beast or its image, hasn't received its mark, so they kept themselves pure. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So they're blessed and holy. Um, a second death has no power over them. They'll be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now, what does this mean? Um, again, this is something which I think people will probably disagree about. Ian Paul, I think, suggests that this is kind of symbolic. There's a, a phrase which I believe is Tertullian, who's one of the early church fathers, who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And he says that, um, that martyrdom, the ones who are martyred, actually are the, the seed. They, they grow the church. They bring life. It's through the blood of the martyrs that life to the church comes. And I just wonder if that's that's actually what John is, is describing here in a very kind of symbolic and, and poetic way. Um, but how actually the, you know, the martyrs 
And it, it talks about beheading, you know, because not all the martyrs would be um, beheaded. Many of them would be, you know, um, well, quite horrible deaths. Um, and, and, you know, beheading is kind of, um, Ian Paul said, was sort of a noble um, way to die. And it's kind of this this nobility of it. It's the you know being held in high regard. It's spurring the spurring the church on to keep God's commands and to um, a, a, and to listen to His word. So actually, you know, through their example, through their holding fast to the testimony about God, they are inspiring others. They are creating life um, in in Christ. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure if that's exactly what, what that means, but I thought that was an interesting um, an interesting idea. So uh, either way, it is an encouragement to, to hold fast to, to God's commands and to hold fast to Christ, even through these times, just knowing that whatever, whatever may go on, evil, it, the power of evil is actually limited. So let's move on to the next, uh, the next part. Now, this is verses 7 to 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the destruction of Satan, the moment that we've all been waiting for, um, and um, it happens pretty quickly in the end, isn't it? And so it, it looks like, you know, once this time is over, once the end has come, then Satan will be just let loose. And it will be like this gathering, this kind of unadulterated um fight against God's people, against Christians, and it will be global, it will be worldwide. Um, Gog and Magog, it, it comes from Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, and I believe this is being used kind of to symbolise the, the worldwide, um, you know, people worldwide, kings and nations worldwide, to, to you know, uh, and appearing like sand on the seashore. Do you know um, in Lord of the Rings, those um, times when um, you know the orcs and the um, you know they're attacking um, uh, the oh, oh gosh I haven't I haven't you know read or watched um, the, the films in a long long time so I can't remember all of the names I apologise any Lord of the Rings fans because um, you know that the names just don't jump to my head like they used to um, but um, you know like in in the um, the two towers the battle at the end of the two towers and so on where you can just see you know what seems like millions and millions of orcs for you know as far as the eye can see and it's that kind of image um i mean tolkien was a, a, a christian um and um you know perhaps this kind of thing was on his mind when he was when he was writing lord of the rings um but it says fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and false prophet had been thrown they will be tormented day and night forever. And, you know, just like that, it's done. Satan, gone. The battle, over. It's not, there's not even a battle. It doesn't describe a battle. It's not like an epic battle, actually, like Lord of the Rings. It's just over. You know, no need to fight. There's a verse in, in the, the Old Testament I often think of saying, you know, um, 
just stand still and and the Lord will fight for you. And um, I think that that's a great example here, isn't it? You know, that the people of God, they don't do anything. It's actually just God who, you know, the fire comes down, they're gone. That's it. Battle over. Um, If only all our battles were like that. Um, I think that's, again, a great encouragement to know that although it may seem like evil is powerful and, and strong, and it is, but that God is so powerful that evil will just be gone like that one day. Just in an instant, it will be gone. And uh, that's a great thing to look forward to. Whatever whatever we may be facing, remember that God is more powerful. So let's look at the last section then. This is 11 to 14, verses 11 to 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing right there before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so um, this is the final judgment of people. And um, this is the moment again, um, we've had the judgment of Satan. um, But now this is the judgment of all, all mankind. Um, It says in, uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that mankind is destined to die once uh, and then face judgment. And this, this judgment is a judgment of everybody. It says great and small. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a king or whether you're a, a peasant. But, you know, you will face the judgment of God. And um, there's a, a lovely line here. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. Um, there's a line in that carol um, in the bleak midwinter. It's, I have to be honest, it's not my favourite carol. But it does ha- have that line in um, earth and heaven will flee away when he comes to reign. Which is based on this verse. And I always think that's a strange... Um, thing to put in a carol but it's a, it's a great thing to remember that you know the, the the lord almighty is so great that you know even like the earth and the heavens you know kind of tremble um before him um and yet he jesus the lord jesus came as a baby to be born on earth and you think isn't that isn't that marvelous isn't that amazing um anyway um and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And the book of life is opened. And it says the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead uh, that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Now one of the important things to understand with, uh, with the Bible is that um, it's not weighing up the balance of whether we've done good or done bad. I mean, some people have got this idea that if you do enough good deeds, it kind of tilts, you know, tilts it down. And and so, you know, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Um, that's not how this, that's not how this works. The way that this works is that our deeds are weighed according to whether we trust in Jesus. 
there's a verse in, in Hebrews again which says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's um, Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, is it is it is impossible to please God. So what this means is that God weighs deeds not according to whether we have uh, done enough good deeds or not, because we can't do a good deed without faith. But our deeds are weighed according to whether we trust in Jesus or not. That's the important thing. And when we trust in Jesus, that is what puts us in in you know in the black. Whereas if we don't trust in Jesus, then we can never do enough uh, good deeds. We can't even do one good deed. But that's maybe a topic for another time. Um, so that's what this means here, that being written in, in the, the, the book of life, that is about trusting in Jesus for our salvation. And uh, it's not about having done enough good deeds. You don't get written in the book of life if you've done enough good deeds, but only by trusting in the Lord Jesus and only by by submitting to him as Lord and um, and seeking to obey him. Um, repenting of our sins, turning to Christ. Um, so that's that's what it means there. And it says death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. You know that the line in that hymn, um, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, or thou, thou great redeemer, whichever, however it's translated, but you know, death of death and hell's destruction. And that is what's being described here. And that's another wonderful thought. It's saying, okay, the judgment is done. No more death. It's all over. And um, yeah, and it does have with it the the punishment of those who were not uh, written in the book of life, who have not believed and trusted in Jesus, but who instead worship the beast and its image. But uh, it is encouraging for those who, who believe and trust in Jesus to persist with him, to keep going and to know that whatever evil we may be experiencing is only temporary and it will come to an end. And that's something that, you know, I've really needed to I need to keep telling myself. I know one of the things that I've dealt with on the on, on the channel, on the podcast over the past few weeks is that a pessimism that I do find it very easy to be pessimistic. And what this is saying is don't be pessimistic, but remember that there will come a day when um, evil and death and hell and Satan, it will all be gone. And all that will be left is is what's good and right, you know, doing God's will. And that's what we're going to come on to in the next chapter. It's a beautiful vision of what life will be like once Satan has been destroyed um, and um yeah, it, it's the positive vision, really, looking forward uh, to, to what things will be like. So let's take a moment to pray. Uh, I know, I, I hope that this has been helpful to you. I'm, uh, there are things in Revelation which are hard, harder to understand, or at least, you know, it, it, it's difficult to kind of know exactly what they are referring to. Um, but I hope that this has given you a few helpful kind of things to think about. And I've got a lot to think about. I've been doing a lot of thinking about Revelation as I've gone through over the past few weeks. And I hope that it's been helpful to you too. So let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this um, this passage from Revelation. And we thank you that uh, we, we know that Satan and death and hell uh, will, be, uh, will be done away with. And we just... Uh, pray that you would help us to trust in you, uh, 
and to keep on uh, with Jesus, to hold fast to the testimony about you, a testimony about Jesus, and to keep obeying you, that we may be found in the book of life and look forward to that day when it will only be what is good and righteous and that all sin and evil will be done away with. So please help us not to be pessimistic about to trust in you and in your victory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining with me today, whether you're on YouTube or on the podcast. Just a couple of uh, bits of housekeeping. Um, I recorded an interview today with um, the My Renewed podcast. So I I did um, a uh, first part of that back in August which is still available on the, the My Renew podcast. And we were talking about COVID and the churches. It was a good conversation with uh, Julian. Um, and so I, I recorded part two of that conversation um, earlier. That will be available soon. And if you follow me on Twitter or on Telegram, and the links will be down below, then I'll, I'll post up um, those links if you're interested. Um, if you would like to follow me um, on if you're on the podcast and you'd like to go on youtube or if you're on youtube and you prefer the podcast and the links will be down there as well and um, if you'd like to express your appreciation then um, there is a buy me a coffee link and uh, i just say this because i know that people um you know i really do appreciate people's desire to to support uh, and everything and i just want to say thank you to everyone um uh, who's supported me in, in in every way and i thank you for the community that um you know we kind of built up and the comments and um, the discussion and everything so yeah thank you everyone and i'll i'll look forward to seeing you again soon but in the meantime god bless <laughs>